And I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 8, just through the beginning of 8. And this is a common passage on love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And now again, we look forward to what Pastor Winter has to share with us on this passage. We're working on a new sermon series. The sermon series is called Loving Your Neighbor in 2020. You might recall that the second great commandment that Jesus gave to those people that follow after him, those who are his disciples who are being transformed by God the Holy Spirit, the second great commandment is for us to love our neighbor as ourself. That's a challenging one. And I think it's particularly challenging in 2020 because a lot of us have turned our focus inward and the concerns and the anxieties, the worries that we have for ourselves. In this pandemic, in the state of emergency that we have been in, some of us have been more and others less cut off from our neighbors, cut off from their concerns, and that has made us focus inward on some of the things that um, come really close, near and dear to ourselves. It's also, in my mind, something important to dwell on, on how to love our neighbors as ourselves in this season when there's a lot of chanting of Black Lives Matter. That's made us question if we really do love our neighbor as we love ourselves, no matter what the color of their skin, no matter what background or ethnic minority they are part of. Do we really love them the way that we love ourselves? And so in order to answer this question about do we love our neighbor and how do we love our neighbor, the first sermon in this series, I thought we'd tackle the whole idea of love and trying to define it. Sometimes we define things on what they are not. And so we could turn the passage that we just read on its head and talk about love or its opposite, rather. What would it mean for us to always be impatient and unkind, to envy, and to boast, and to be proud? What would it mean if we constantly dishonored others, if we regularly were self-seeking, easily angered, if we kept a regular tally of every time somebody wronged us? What if we delighted in evil instead of rejoicing in the truth? What if we were not always protecting, or trusting, or hoping, or persevering? What if love failed? Well, there's some novelists, of course, who play with this idea, right? Maybe you've heard or you've read the book, The Mysterious Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's a case in which the doctor, who is good and kind and benevolent, drinks a potion that allows his dark side to come out. And Mr. Hyde is this nasty character who has no compassion or care for anybody around, but just gives in and indulges in whatever evil he feels like doing. 
Or from the same time period, also written in Great Britain, The Picture of Dorian Gray is another novel in which a young man has his portrait taken. And this painting bears all the signs of all the evil and wrongdoing that he has done while he himself remains young and innocent and naive looking. And with that kind of freedom, he goes out and does all sorts of things, knowing that it's not going to reflect on him. But meanwhile, the portrait up in the attic looks worse and worse and worse. I mean, even if you've read through the Harry Potter novels, you understand that there's nothing loving or lovable about the bad guy in that book. Tom Riddle, as he becomes Lord Voldemort, becomes worse and more evil and less lovable and less loving as his transformation continues. And that's something really to be avoided in all of these novels. Dystopia, we call these, a picture of things the way that they ought not to be. And sometimes when we soak in some of the media, People paint others in that kind of a picture, but not everything's that neat and tidy. Each person seems to have a mix in following what God wants us to do and in going away from it. Nobody is completely evil all the time. So that no matter what politics you follow, there's no politician in Canada or in the U.S. who is as wise and as reasonable and as clever as they are advertised to be. But of course, none of them are quite as foolish or untrustworthy as their critics make them out to be either. I don't know, we find this balance, this unbalance in ourselves as well. I find it in me that I'm not quite as patient, not quite as kind, not as much all of the rest of these virtues as I'd like to be. I mean, even this morning as I was writing this message, the noise in the household really got under my skin. And as I hollered, I realized that I wasn't sounding particularly patient or particularly kind. I got easily angered this morning working on this message. And it hits you like a ton of bricks. Oh boy, I'm supposed to be preaching on this kind of stuff. And here I go falling down the cliff. It's a gut check that we need at times, isn't it? That recognition that we don't quite live up to the best picture we have of ourselves. This is something that's happening in our culture right now as well. Right now in 2020, we're going through this season in which people are standing around and chanting that black lives matter. And they're chanting that because ever since the death of Floyd George, people have come to the recognition that in some areas of our culture, in some areas of our communities, it needs to be said because people who are black or are from First Nations have got the feeling that their lives don't matter as much as other people's lives. And so they're drawing our attention to the fact that their lives do matter. And they're chanting and marching and reminding the rest of us that all lives matter, that black lives matter as a result of all lives mattering. The same kind of thing happened in 2017. Maybe you remember when the hashtag MeToo got running. It got running because several people stepped forward and spoke about sexual abuse that they had 
faced. Particularly at the hands of Harvey Weinstein, but other people as well were called out because this is not right for people to be sexually manipulated or sexually abused as a condition for their employment. It's not right at any time, but especially not as a condition of one's employment. And so these things happen, these conversations bubble up because we need to have the gut check, the reminder that we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're called to treat our neighbors as we ourselves want to be treated. We're reminded in Scripture that the measure that we measure things to other people, that's the way it'll be measured back to us as well. It's the kind of thing that's happening in this Bible passage as well. In the whole letter, the whole first letter to the church in Corinth, God is confronting the, le- the church in Corinth through the Apostle Paul, bringing a message to them to say, the way that you're going about things is not quite right. Because the church in Corinth was not a settled church. Oh, they had great leaders at one time and another. Paul ran through there and made disciples for Jesus Christ. And Apollos came in there and did his teaching and made other people who were followers of Jesus Christ. And Peter did a stint there as well. The apostle made followers of Jesus Christ. But it wasn't all peace and harmony in this church in Corinth. There were factions and divisions. There were quarrels. There were even lawsuits of people taking each other to civil court to find justice and to settle disputes within the church. This is not the way that God intended the church to look like and to act and to behave. It was a... a, Troubled place because sometimes they had these great lavish feasts that rich people fed uh, through for the celebration of God's grace and mercy to this church. But they started feasting early on in the day. And by the time some people got off work and showed up, there was only a little bit of water and crumbs left over from this great celebration of God's love. The injustice, the disparity between rich and poor ran through this whole congregation. So much so that in this letter, God said, that's not the way things ought to be. Instead, you are the body of Christ and all the different parts are essential for the body of Christ to function properly. And in that confrontation, God calls his people then and now to be better to love each other more deeply, to reflect God's image more faithfully in the way they treated each other within the church and the way they treated their neighbors outside of the church. But this isn't something that we're able to do somehow to conjure up from within ourselves just through sheer willpower. No, Paul reminds us of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a gospel that from the outside might not sound like wisdom, Because at the heart of the gospel, we find the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's in the cross of Jesus Christ that the power of God to forgive and transform takes shape. Because it's there at the cross that our sin, our guilt, our not living up to God's call to love Him and to love neighbor, all of that gets crucified with Jesus Christ. That old self that can't measure up, that gets crucified along with Jesus Christ. And the new self in Jesus' resurrection comes to life. And God the Holy Spirit gets poured on each of the followers of Jesus Christ to fill us with love 
love for God and love for neighbor. In Jesus' resurrection, we are given life, given renewal, and opportunity to live with and for God in amazing ways that we didn't dream of before. But this process of becoming more like Jesus, uh, sometimes it takes a while. For the people in Corinth, this was part of that process of becoming more like Jesus Christ. That God called them on the carpet and said, the way that you're going is not right. And we in this season of 2020 are going through that season as well, where we're being reminded of the need to love our neighbors as ourselves. Whether they have the same tone of skin and same ethnic background as us or not, we need to love them because they're made in the image of God. And within the church, we need to be concerned for each other's welfare, even if we do that at great cost to ourselves. And it's not something we do alone, though we encourage and, and challenge each other in this. But God, the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God and through His indwelling, transforms us and makes us concerned about each other. So this description in 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a goal, something for us to aspire to. What would it take for people in our community to describe Tilsonburg Christian Reformed Church, which is becoming Cross Point Community Church, what would, it call, what would it take for people to consider our congregation to be this loving? That they say, that's a place where people are patient and kind, they don't envy, they don't boast, they're not proud, they don't dishonor other people, they aren't self-seeking, they're not easily angered, they keep no record of wrongs, they don't delight in evil but rejoice in the truth. They always protect, always trust, always hope, and always persevere. The love there never fails. How would we earn that kind of a reputation? Or if you want to get really personal, we can talk about that as individuals as well. What would it take for people to describe you with all these attributes? Wow. He's really patient and kind. She doesn't envy. She doesn't boast. She's not proud. He doesn't dishonor others. He's not self-seeking. He's not even easily, easily angered. She doesn't keep a record of wrongs. She doesn't delight in evil. But no, she rejoices with the truth. He always protects. Always trusts. Always hopes always perseveres. In that person, love never fails. It's quite a list, isn't it? It's quite a goal. What a thing to aspire for. And especially if we've been following after Jesus for quite a long time, hopefully we're a few steps further down on this journey that, that those characteristics are seen in us and that makes people delight in being with us because we reflect the love that we've received in Jesus Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit is transforming us to be that way. And yet sometimes it's hard to picture what that looks like. It's, it's hard to imagine what that is. I mean, there's not many good books or movies that tell stories about really, really virtuous people. When they try, sometimes it gets sickly sweet and kind of syrupy and not always that interesting. And C.S. Lewis talked about the trouble with writing that kind of a book. He wrote the Screwtape Letters 
which is a book that talks about temptation as if by a devil, thinking about what it would take to tempt people away from God and into sin and brokenness. But he said the book is kind of incomplete afterwards. That it needed a companion volume written from the perspective of an angel, of an angel, somebody who was prompting goodness, prompting holiness in people as well. But C.S. Lewis didn't think he was qualified to write that kind of a document. Didn't think he was qualified to paint that kind of a picture. And yet I kind of like his works because he did eventually write that kind of a book, that kind of a novel in The Great Divorce. It's not what it sounds like. It talks about the divorce between heaven and hell, not uh, some sort of marriage breakup. But in that great divorce, he talks about a dream. He talks about a bus tour that people could take going to heaven and walking around and seeing what it was like. And on this tour, he saw a woman who was absolutely beautiful and was surrounded by massive angels celebrating how awesome she was, surrounded by people dancing around her, surrounded by animals that loved to be pet by her and get her attention. The guide that C.S. Lewis had described Sarah Smith as a great one. Oh, she was unknown on earth, the guide said, but she was famous in heaven because things on earth and things in heaven aren't completely in jive so that things that make you famous on earth might not make you famous in heaven. But here, Sarah Smith was famous for her love. This is how it gets described. Every young man or boy that met her became her son, even if it was only the boy who, drove, who delivered groceries to her back door. And every girl that met her became her daughter. Her motherhood was a different kind. Those on whom it fell went back to their natural parents, loving them even more. It went on to describe how few men looked on her without becoming, in a certain fashion, her lovers. But it was the kind of love that made them not less true, but truer to their own wives. Her love is like when you throw a stone into a pool and the concentric waves, the, the big circles spread out further and further and further and who knows where it will end, the guide suggested. Maybe you've met people like her who are so loving and patient and kind and all the other attributes mentioned here. Someone who makes everybody else they come in contact with shine a little bit brighter and love their circle of friends and acquaintances and family a little bit stronger, a little bit better, a little bit deeper. And it's awesome to be with that kind of a person, isn't it? To fall more deeply in love, not just with them, but to have them inspire you to love your neighbor more deeply, to, to love your spouse more deeply, if God's blessed you with one, to, to love your children, your family, the neighbors better than, yourself, than you otherwise would. That's the kind of person that's being described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's the kind of person that we are to aspire to be as well, to, to strive to be someone who is as patient and kind and empty of envy and boasting and pride, who doesn't dishonor others, who's not self-seeking or easily angered, not delighting in evil, but rejoicing in the truth, always protecting, always trusting, always hoping, always persevering, 
so that love in us and love within the church and love within our community does not fail, but grows stronger and deeper and wider, that the circles go out and out and out, not so that we look so good, but always pointing to the love that we've received from God in Christ Jesus, transforming us by the presence of God's Holy Spirit, so that we love Him and neighbor more and more.